Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of the Fox Nomad Podcast. I'm your host, Fox Nomad, Arnold Pollat. Welcome to, it is the latest episode, but also the last episode of season four before we take our summer hiatus. I know, I know it's sad, but it gives you some time to enjoy your vacation. Also gives us some time to expand and put into place some plans that we usually have for the podcast. I'm excited about season five. We're going to possibly change some things up, make some things a little bit better, more interesting, more interactive. So anyway, that'll be coming up probably in September when we kick back off. But for now, I figured I was looking through the list of things, you know, stories and, and things that we pull. And I was like, we got a lot of questions here, a lot of your questions. So I, I want to make it kind of light, kind of easy, and just go through like a, like a Q&A almost, and just talk about a couple of stories that have come our way. So uh, let's see, as we get into this, before a couple, before we get into this, a couple of things, I'm just checking up, pulling up the latest uh, Fox Nomad YouTube videos, which you might be interested in. A lot happening as far as the fitness watch scene is going. So when we talk about, you know, sports watches, health trackers, um, Garmin has really been just crushing it and came out with the newest Phoenix series, which is their like Apple Ultra sort of competitor, even though I feel like the Apple Ultra is really competing with the Garmin since they really kind of crush it in that end. Um, but if you're looking for something that's maybe not a thousand dollar watch, we've got the Garmin Forerunner 965 review is up. And then we've got also the Venue SQ2 review is out. And also the Forerunner 265 is out as well. Again, a lot of interesting things happening in the smartwatch area. Personally, I'm waiting for a smaller sized Fenix 8 that has solar charging that has an AMOLED display. That's that's kind of what I'm I'm waiting for as far as watches go. And hopefully that'll come out. I was hoping that would be announced now, but with this release of the Phoenix 7 with a couple of enhancements, I don't think that's going to be happening. But we do have coming up as we kind of talk about what's happening over the next couple of weeks is uh, WWDC, which is Apple's developer conference. And likely, who knows that, uh, you know, as someone who develop, develops apps, uh, Wi-Fox, DroneMate, TipFox, GrassFox, and FaucetSafe, which are all available on Android and iOS right now. A lot of big updates are coming to those for us internally here. And the developer conference is usually where we hear announcements about new features, what Apple is working on for iOS, and we try to incorporate those into the, the the apps as features. And so we're looking into, you know, seeing what Apple has to announce, but it seems like, it, the rumor is, it's, it's not really a secret really, but the rumor is that Apple is developing some kind of VR headset, and uh, we might we might hear of that in the next next week actually. That's when the developer conference is going to be announced. That's when things are happening. They don't usually release products during the developer conference. Uh, it's usually like a software, iOS, macOS kind of thing. Um, but we might see some features that might be related to VR. So uh, stay tuned for that. We'll cover that depending on when that's released uh, on the podcast and probably on YouTube. Also, a couple of other videos. We've got a lot of you have been asking for security tips, like how to stay safe when traveling, like how to protect your valuables. As someone who travels with thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars of equipment, 
on his back. Um, it's something that, you know, I think about and things that I have strategies for. So uh, there's a video about that. Creating your own backpack security system on YouTube. Now also have, I'm really excited about this, new merch, a new store, new designs, new fabrics, a lot of things. If you go to foxnomad.com shop or shop.foxnomad.com, you can find out my personal favorite right now is a new Dromate shirt. And I also really like the redesigned Fox Nomad vintage shirt. It's brighter. It's got better materials. We're using now the fourth wall and shipping is fast. Great. We've got some amazing beanies that ship out of Spain. They look really, really nice. Some tumblers. Honestly, if you're looking for, you know, just some gear, some something, and also want to help, you know, support Fox Nomadi things, and there you go, shop.foxnomad.com. And if you want also to see some of that, those expensive gear that I carry, I did a What's in My Travel Backpack 2023 edition that's also on YouTube, just Fox Nomad on YouTube. You can check out all of those things. And yeah, so I think probably the first place that I want to start Actually, I'll save this question for the end. Ooh, 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 teaser. Um, a lot of you have been asking me where I've been, where am I going, where are the travel vlogs? I'll give you an update on that in a little bit toward the end of this episode. But first, I want to talk about sleep vacations. Have you, this is something that oh, totally makes a lot of sense to me as someone who is sort of, you know, running on uh, burning the midnight oil. No. Running on fumes, I think, is better. Uh, it's, it's been it's been a very very busy on absolutely all fronts past really past year, but especially the last six months. And you know the idea of sleep tourism, which is what I want to talk to you about, sounds really nice. Because honestly, people go, where do you want to go for vacation? When you travel, when you take some time off, what do you want to do? And I'm like, I don't want to go anywhere new. And if I do, I usually want to spend like two weeks and sleep. If I'm going to do a vacation, I'm going to do absolutely, you know, like just relax. Like maybe, you know, still go for like do some workouts and things like that. You know, keep up with the exercise routine, but sleep and not really do a lot of stuff. If I go to a new place, for me, it's going to be like very tempting to not create content around it. That is the blessing and the curse of this life I have created for myself. So, you know, you, typically I'll go to a place that I know very well. And so where I can like not feel the immediate urge to record everything. And uh, sleep tourism is becoming a thing. And I, I know as soon as I say that, people are like, your immediate, you know, reaction is probably like, that's stupid. And then you think about it for like five seconds, you're like, ooh, that sounds nice. So the article goes here, The this uh, press release that I got, it's 50 a million, 50, 50 a million. Dude, it's end of the season, guys. Just We're going no edits. All right. With 50 million Americans suffering from sleep problems, it is no surprise the travel industry is looking to tap into this growing issue. And over the past few years, these sleep scientists have say, the growth of wellness offerings for travelers, it is only natural that we should extend to sleep too. So here are some sleep vacations that you could literally take. This one is at the Park Hyatt in New York, and they've created a sleep suite concept that ensures guests get a deep slumber. Now, this sounds this sounds really nice to me, but the suite comes equipped with an AI-powered bed that is designed to optimize the temperature and your it is optimized to design the temperature throughout sleep stages leading to a better night's sleep. 
you'll also find accessories such as masks, essential oils, and sleep-related books. Now, let's see what the cost of that is. I'm going to see if they... Uh, you know, that just sounds like you could really just do that in any old hotel, like a nice hotel, right? Um, but it is kind of interesting, and I think this is going to be like one of those kind of sleep mattress uh, things like that, when you get those, you know, mattresses that have heating and cooling and that are like sort of ridged so that they breathe better. And uh, I'm looking at this now. The room looks like a, it's just a nice hotel room. It's in New York. Let's see what the price is. Let's uh, let's check this out. One night at this hotel that is optimized for sleep in New York City is, what are you guessing? I'm guessing like 200 bucks. I'm going to guess like, whoa, $1,200 a night. That's how much you can pay to sleep in a hotel. Granted, that is a more expensive hotel in New York City, but there you go. Uh, it's just good marketing there, I think. All right, so we've got also got, you've got uh, these, let's see, sleep weekend cabin in the English countryside. Now, this is in White House Hideaway has launched a sleep weekend, which includes a consultation with a sleep coach before, during, and after the weekend so guests can get most out of their stay. They will arrive in an off-grid cabin to find a sleep welcome pack containing a sleep journal, eye mask, earplugs, and more. Now, this is located here in... Yeah, so this is in the countryside in the UK. And it looks really nice. It's sort of like a container home. I don't know if you've seen my video on YouTube about those container homes where they take shipping containers and convert them into Airbnbs or, um, you know, they convert them into places to stay. So this one here is, it doesn't say exactly where it's located. I want to see what the price of this one is. And, ooh, this thing is booked through, like, forever. So... Yeah, you're, you're probably not going to be staying here, but it looks super nice. Like, it's just a cabin, and there's nothing but the mountain, like the hills outside, green. Uh, it's beautiful, and it is booked throughout forever. It is just south of Birmingham, kind of near... Yeah, it's sort of near Birmingham and London. It's right in between the countryside... And if you've ever been out like a little bit west of Oxford, if you've ever been to that part of England, it's just such a beautiful, beautiful place. So hey, you can get some nice Z's there. I think what we can take away from this is that you don't need to pay a lot of money to do like a, and get good sleep on your next vacation. I think you just need somewhere that's relaxing, that's quiet. Maybe New York City isn't the best for that because you're going to be out all day. It's going to be very hectic. Maybe you want to go to the countryside somewhere and just enjoy a very relaxing, quiet kind of place. And uh, there's plenty of places to do that around the world. If, I, I don't know, I'm thinking about where some places you could do that, that would be really nice. Like New Zealand, that's very far away for a lot of you. Um, you could easily do that somewhere like on the Turkish coast would be really nice. Italy, you know, just somewhere quiet where you can get into the countryside. You can even do that all over the U.S. Like, there's so many beautiful places to stay. I think, you know, when it comes to when it comes to relaxing and na natural beauty, the U.S. Really, a lot of people focus on New York, L.A., Miami, that kind of stuff. But man, the countryside is really beautiful. Um, so, yeah, sleep tourism is becoming a thing, and that may or may not disgust you, <laughs> depending on those prices. 
All right, going through a couple of other things. Let's see what we have. I was sent this story about a man using his air tags to get his lost luggage back. And he had a roller bag that had $3,000 worth of stuff in there. It never showed up from Los Angeles to Atlanta. So he checked his location on his iPhone and he realized that someone else had his bag. I pulled my iPhone out and was showing that it was at Grady Memorial Hospital. I was looking for it for a couple of minutes and I was still saying Grady. A couple of days later, he kept tracking it and he saw the bag move near the airport. He decided to report his luggage lost to the police. Uh, February 20th, the police report obtained by ABC News said he was able to pinpoint for police exactly where the missing bag was. When police arrived to the airport, the suspect who had originally allegedly taken the luggage was arrested. The responding officer said the suspect allegedly had an additional suitcase and was wearing a pair of his socks, this guy's socks. The rest of his uh, belongings were safely returned, which included a Jordan sneaker, included a included Jordan sneakers, VR headset, and other clothes. All right, guys, if you've seen my backpack security tips, if you've seen that, look, do not check in your valuable electronics. Like bring those with you, carry on. And if you have to check something in, make sure that you can get that in some kind of secured or lockable or insured luggage. Because when those, I'm going to guess, let's see. Uh, I'm going to guess. So he was able to find these with the air tag, right? But like, I'm going to guess this is somebody who worked at the airport and was able to see what was inside the baggage, either through snooping or through the x-rays. And that's more common than you would think. So they're going to see that VR headset and be like, oh, okay, we're going to open that up before it gets on the plane or just take it. And that seems to be what happened. I'm going to guess here. Air tags, you know, uh, get a bad rap. I think either people know them as great tracking devices or things people use to stalk each other. Um, but they are very, very, very useful for 30 bucks and a year's worth of battery life, and you can replace the battery. They are just absolutely key to tracking your stuff. I Like when I check in on a flight, I love being able to like see where my luggage is. Like I can see it go through the airport and I can see when it's on the plane. I know when I get on my flight, if my luggage is on my plane, I always check it. I know my luggage is on the plane with me. And if it's not, I'll wait. And then I'll check again when we land. If it's not there, then I'm going to start wondering if it doesn't show up at, at checkout. Now, if you are going to have an AirTag in your baggage, which I recommend, I really recommend. If you don't have an iPhone, then you can go with some other kind of Bluetooth tracker, but um, hide it somewhere. Like if your back, backpack or your luggage has like an interior hidden pocket or you want to hide it in, you know, one of the like least used interior pockets. Some of them have little like places you can slip them under some fabric. You, you don't want it to be out in the open and loose. So somebody could just see it and just throw it somewhere, you know? So you want it somewhere where somebody's not going to realize there's an air tag in it. So if you want to track it down, you can do that. So um, yeah, use air tags. That, that's that's going to be my re recommendation. Um, because the way they work is essentially... So I've, I've reviewed like Tile. There are other competitors, but what makes the air tags so good is they use the network of Apple devices, mainly iPhones that are all around to connect. So you put an AirTag, you know, you pair it with your iPhone. You need an iPhone to activate an AirTag. However, you can track it with 
you know, app your all your throughout your Apple devices, and uh, and Apple makes an Android app too. But you need an iPhone to set up. Now, let's say your AirTag is, you know, you take your AirTag and your friend takes it, and now your AirTag is in a park somewhere. So, so how does the AirTag ping you? It doesn't. I mean, it has Bluetooth in it, but it doesn't, you know, have a Wi-Fi connection or anything like that, or it's not GPS enabled. The way it works is the AirTag, when you mark it as uh, lost, so your AirTag is always like pinging a Bluetooth signal. Now with Tile, the way it, those work the same way. They're, they're like pinging. They're just always saying like, hey, I'm here. Hey, I'm here. I'm here. All in Bluetooth talk, right? With Tile, you need the actual Tile app. So you need somebody with that app. So walking past within 30 feet. So it's going, I'm here, I'm here. And if you have Tile and somebody has the Tile app on their phone, it's going to then use that phone through the Tile app and then connect the Tile servers and then send you the location. That's great, but Tile has 7 million users or so, something like that. And they're very concentrated in cities, but a lot of people have iPhones. Like a lot, a lot of people have iPhones. So anybody with a... Uh, you know, so the AirTag is like going, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here. And most iPhones, when you walk by, they ignore it. They're like, got it, dude, got it, dude, got it, dude. Okay, okay. When you mark that AirTag as lost, or if you want to see where it is, it will then send that signal through the Apple network so it knows, the, the Apple devices know when it hears your particular AirTag going, I'm here, I'm here. Your phone goes, I hear you. I got it. And they make a little communication fist bump there. And that iPhone, without the user knowing it, without them being able to have, like, it, this is all happening under the radar, you know? Like you, the, the random person who has the iPhone, whose iPhone is being used to help you find that AirTag, has no idea that this is happening. And your phone is doing it all the time too. So you mark that the AirTag is lost or you want to see where it is, then that iPhone will then send you the GPS coordinates of that AirTag. So you can imagine like in a city, this is going to be really, really good for tracking because like how many, so many people are going to have iPhones around and it's just a way better network to, to, you know, find stuff. So Samsung has a version of it as well but it works with Samsung phones only, which there are a lot of Samsung phones, but when it comes to iOS, a lot of users, a lot of users around the world are gonna have that. So that's how the AirTags work. Very, very useful. Now you're gonna be thinking about your uh, phone just pinging all the time, which it is. And there you go, use AirTag. So this guy was able to get his lost stuff. Good for him. I see a lot of these stories. I see a lot of these stories coming out about people finding you know, lost stuff with the AirTag. All right, a couple of other things people have sent me. A lot of people, virtual reality, how will that change the world? How will we explore travel destinations? How will it change tourism? Uh, virtual reality, I don't think will really change tourism in the near term. I've seen apps and I've also seen integrations with VR headsets where you can kind of like explore Rome. I think Rome was the one that they had done this on. So you can like explore Rome through a headset or you can explore it through your phone, you know, just like in a 3D space kind of thing. They work okay. They work all right. 
but it doesn't make you feel like you're in Rome. You're not getting away. You're not seeing something new. You're not breathing the air. You're not eating the food. You're not hearing the language. You're not getting away from work or whatever. You know, I think it's great for, it'll be great for things like educational purposes. I could see that being used in schools. Like you're talking about, let's say ancient Rome or ancient Egypt. You can make a, you know, VR approximation of that. Or you could be, you know, teaching kids about South Africa. So you have one of Johannesburg or whatever it is. I don't think people are ever going to stop uh, traveling to, to, you know, use VR as an option. And I think that's because the idea of leaving a place, I think a lot of people use travel as, a, I mean, it's a vacation. For, for most people, most people traveling, it's a vacation to get away from work, to get away from stuff. So I don't think that's really going to be difficult to sort of move away from. And I, I don't think virtual reality right now is anywhere good enough. Now, holodeck, like if we're talking Star Trek holodeck level, where you've got like 3D holograms, that, that would be a game changer. But I don't think just seeing stuff. I think that boils down travel and tourism into like, you go to see things. And I... I think people plan a trip around that. They go, oh, I want to see the Colosseum. I want to, you know, do this. I want to see that. But when you get there, you realize like, that's like really a small part of your trip, you know, like the actual experience of being in a different place is just such cognitive overload and so thrilling that that's really why we travel. You know, I don't think it's to see stuff, you know, you might, that might be the reason that gets you there. Um, it, you know, it, it, it's, it's not what keeps you there, I guess. Uh, let's see, AI, how can this have an impact on travel? I would say AI is kind of similar. Um, it can help you plan a trip. I, I've used it. I've used chat GPT-4 to plan a trip for me. I had it plan a trip for me in my style, in the Fox Nomad style. And it pulled obviously based on what I've written and probably the videos I made and all that stuff. And it came up with a decent itinerary. I think it's a good start. So I think, yeah, it can be useful in that situation where you have, you know, you have it plan a trip for you, give you ideas, maybe give you a route. You know, you're like, oh yeah, I got three days here, three days here, four days here, three days here. What's the best way to do that trip? Or what's the most eco-friendly way to do that? The, the most carbon neutral way to do that? Um, where's the best, you know, uh, gluten-free vegan restaurant in Berlin that serves beer with high alcohol content? I don't know. Like you get really specific with your questions. I could see it, uh, doing that. So my thinking is it will help with trip planning, especially in the near term, the most, I don't see it really impacting a lot of other things. Um, now, we did just talk about in the sleep tourism, we did talk about the bed that adjusts, you know, based on the sleep cycle you're in, the heating, the cooling, and trying to do that. But I, I, I think those are very, like, expensive things. So those are always going to be very niche, you know? I don't think people are going, oh, this AI bed is the reason that I want to go sleep in the Park Hyatt in New York. You know what I mean? Like, that is what I, I think of as sort of a loss leader is what they call it. It's, I, I watched the whole video about Dyson. So 
excuse me while I tangent, they, they made headphones that have an air purifying mask on the front, like a full on mask with fans and everything. And it's a thousand bucks and it's the dumbest thing you've ever seen. But the, the theory behind why they created such a thing is this theory of the loss leader. This is a product that they know they're going to lose money on, that they're going to invest a lot in, that is going to get big headlines, but is not really going to sell because the product is not good, it's not practical, so on and so on and so on. So, but it does get people talking about Dyson, which is a company that does make fans and motors and hair dryers and things like that. So it's kind of like a good press for the company, even if the product itself is bad. So I think these kind of AI tools, like this AI bed or this you know, artificial intelligence check-in system that some hotels are implementing, those are very expensive. You know, how much is that bed gonna cost with all, all the, the motors and the heating and the cooling? Most people are not going to spend extra for that. But if you get a luxury room that has a beautiful mountain view and hiking tours and is in a really great location, and it's a luxury room and so on and so on and so on. And it happens to have an AI bed that is incorporated into the price. I think then, you know, you, people are going to book that, but for just for like the AI of it all, I don't think so. But again, it makes great headlines. And my point being here is that when it makes great headlines, we just talked about all those places. We talked about the Hyatt, you know, Park Hyatt Hotel in New York and all of that. So it gets people looking at the hotel. They may not spend 1200 bucks a night on that, that particular room, but they might start thinking about looking at other rooms in the hotel. And they're going to go, hmm, this other room is $650. It doesn't have an AI bed, but it's still a really nice room. I'm going to guess not too different than this other room. And so they're still going to get people looking through the door. So that's my take on AI. Uh, travel comparison. Thank you for all of your questions, guys. I, I feel bad now neglecting so many of these, but you waited till the end of the, the season. So here we go. Uh, Pre-COVID versus post-COVID, are things back to normal? Yeah, <laughs> that's the short answer. Yep. Seems like people have totally forgotten that COVID is a thing that happened. I There are a couple countries, Japan comes to mind, where they're asking still for your vaccination papers, but a lot aren't anymore masks are basically gone. You see airports, planes, people not wearing masks. Honestly, I'm, I'm on a plane, I'm wearing a mask and I'm telling you why. It helps not dry out your sinuses when you're in the air for a long period of time. I noticed that during the COVID time when I had my mask on and I'm like, I didn't feel as crappy in my face. Like my nose wasn't so dry and just sitting in close proximity to a bunch of people in a tube in the sky. Seems like a good idea to avoid getting a cold, uh, you know, not even COVID, just getting a cold when you get to a place. So for the sinus, really, I will wear the mask. Also, people pick their nose and do all kinds of gross. Every time I get into a plane, some dude is like picking their nose. Like it's gross. It's really, really gross. So the more I can cover up from that, the better. So that that's just my take on it. Um, but as far as it in, impacting tourism, tourism is rebounding in a big way. We can see that with the number of people flying. We can see that with the number of flights booked. We can see that with hotel bookings. Um, I don't think COVID really has impacted the tourism industry 
in a net positive way like we expected. Like I loved it when there was COVID. They were sanitizing everything. They were sanitizing the plane. Like you would see like flight attendants sanitizing the bathrooms, like during flights, the security, those those plastic bins, you know, when you go through security, I would see people like wiping those down with disinfectant. All of that is gone. All of that is gone. Like they even used to have like hand sanitizer everywhere. And all that stuff is gone basically because airlines, airports, you know, they don't want to take on that additional cost. But it's really sad because it made it cleaner, honestly. And airplanes and airports are pretty gross. So there you go. You're going to have to bring your own... Um, you're going to have to bring your own hand sanitizer, which is unfortunate. I, I was hoping things would just generally be a little bit cleaner, but nope, it is not because it is expensive and companies won't pay for it unless there's some regulation or some real strong incentive monetarily to do it. So things are, yeah, I'd say things are pretty much back to normal. You can pretty much go anywhere. I think after China opened up, they were the last real big holdout. Japan still wants your vaccination card, just places that want it. But, you know, I, th I think we're good to go. Uh, let's see. Recession impact on tourism and travel. Um, is this recession in potentially in US or global? I would say this. I would say that the there's two things happening. One is people didn't travel for a long time during COVID in general. So they have the desire to travel, like the itch to travel. They also probably spent less money in general, I'm going to guess. And the numbers right now don't seem to have an impact on tourism and travel because it's still recovering from COVID. It's still not at the numbers it was before, but it's close. So my take on this is the people you know, who could travel before the recession are traveling now. And the people who couldn't before the recession probably still can't travel. But, you know, when we talk about tourism and travel, I think a lot of people think, you know, taking a long flight halfway across the world and spending a week, you know, somewhere really nice, you know, not to say there aren't places nearby nice, but they, they think of these like, like, you know, you think about like a tropical beach or something like that. But for a lot of people, tourism and travel, you know, doesn't have to be to a foreign country. It doesn't have to be really far away. It doesn't have to be a flight. Tourism and travel, a large part of it is local. And you've, you've probably noticed commercials wherever you are in the world about tourism in cities that are nearby you. So you might see like you might be, let's say you're in, uh, let's say you're in, you know, you're in Denver and you start seeing commercials for trips to Idaho, you start seeing trips, you know, to Portland or to Seattle, places that are not that far away. Or even in, you know, if you're in, let's say the Washington DC area, you see a lot of tourism commercials for Philadelphia. You see a lot for Baltimore. You see a lot of these places that are not far away, that are a couple of hours by car. And I think a lot of people discount that impact on the amount of money that happens that goes into tourism. I think that is rebounding. I don't think the risk. Here's what I, I'm thinking is that the recession doesn't impact, may impact a small percentage of how many people travel, but I think it more impacts where you travel and how. So you might not go to 
you know, you might not go to Italy for two weeks. I'm just saying, for example, to go to the beach, you might decide to go to Indonesia, which is further away, but it's going to be less expensive once you get there. You might, let's say, not go to Europe. If you're not in Europe and you're in Canada, you might fly down to Mexico, a little bit closer, maybe a little bit less expensive for sure. So I think people are still traveling as much as they can who want to travel. I think they're just adjusting their travel plans. And because of the freedom that a lot of people have now uh, away from the desk and virtually and stuff, I think it's only going to benefit. So yeah, that's what I think about that. Uh, TikTok ban implications on security. I don't think, I think this is the US TikTok ban proposal. I don't think that's going to ever happen. I think that's just posturing and, you know, lobbying and this talk of trying to ban TikTok is just not going to happen. What's going to happen, you know, is TikTok, I don't know what the current ownership is, but it's essentially the, the it has a diverse set of owners is my understanding. And it's, it's never going to be banned. It's too big. It's too powerful. There's too much money. There's too many people involved in it. Too many people invested in it. I don't think TikTok is going to be banned. Yeah. So there you go. Not going to happen. I wouldn't worry too much about it. Um, how good are air tags? Well, we just talked about air tags. So thank you for sending that question. Let's see. All right. What do we got? Um, uh, people are talking about, should we be worried about AI? Yep, we should. And not for the reasons you think. I don't think the, uh, I, I don't think it's because of the robots rising up. I just think of the dangers of AI being, we're going to have computers and machines being able to do more stuff, more work that people could do, putting people out of work. But I don't think we're going to fill that void up of, how do we take care of those people that have now lost their job because of AI? Like there, there is a competition that happens when AI can start writing papers, when can start when they when it can start doing research, when it can start doing trip planning, when it can do all these things. It's gonna it's gonna really put a a pressure on the job market. And I think for a lot of people who don't expect that, like I think for programmers, as this gets better at being able to program. I think it's going to undercut even, you know, the cheap, where you find cheap programmers around the world. If you have ChatGPT being able to do it, you know, that's going to put a lot of people sort of in this uh, weird state, you know? So what do we do about all all of that? I, I think it's going to have a bigger impact than, than people expect in terms of jobs and what kind of jobs. So yeah, so there you have it. Did I forget anything? That's, that looks like all the questions the major questions that you've sent in. Um, as far as me, where I'm traveling, what's going on right now? As of now, it's in flux. I have a couple of projects that are in different parts of the world and I'm still waiting to organize and put dates together. I can't even tell you like how my travel plans have changed so much over the last, really the last couple of months, but it it's going to be some new countries for sure. Those are going to be the very first places that I go. So the, the vlogs will be kicking up again. 
uh, so you'll see more travel content on YouTube. I'm going to be focusing on difficult, more difficult destinations. Summer is coming up, so there are a couple of places that I wanted to go, and it looks like July and August, probably the worst times of the year to go because it will be a zillion degrees. I won't do that. And it looks like I'm going to start the tech season a little bit later than usual, so like October. So it looks like ideally, you know, summer, early fall, a lot of travel content, a lot of places to go, a lot of places to see, and a couple of stops and projects. Uh, speaking of which, London is, is definitely a thing that's going to happen. I'm looking for a videographer. I put out a call on Twitter and some of you sent resumes. I would love that if you're listening to this and you're a videographer who's based in the UK, London ideally, but you know it can be anywhere in the UK really for a paid project. Uh, I need some help with something I'm working on. It would be a very short project. We're talking like a couple of days. Send me your YouTube channel, send me your resume, uh, foxnomad.com slash contact, and we can, we can talk and maybe you can help me with this project. That would be great. Uh, and uh, let's see, did I miss something? I feel like I said something in the beginning of the podcast and now I forgot about it. Hold on, let me zip back there in the recording and zip back. And I did some digital magic and I listened to it. Yeah, so that's basically what's going on. Uh, this has been, I hope you've enjoyed this last episode. It's like hard to say goodbye, honestly. We have so many guests that we couldn't book in time for the end of the season. Hopefully we'll get them for season five. I would love, 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 love to have to go daily, not daily, <laughs> that would be nice, but to go weekly. A lot of people have been asking, hey, why take the hiatus and why not go weekly? I would love to do that. Looking for some help, the podcast, a little bit more help to actually produce the podcast and we can go weekly. And I might pop in here and there throughout the summer. We have our Geek Takeover Week August special that's going to be just a one-off in August. I hopefully you enjoy those where we kind of go off the rails and talk about something nerdy, something geeky. Keep an eye on YouTube uh, over the next couple of weeks. A lot of travel stuff coming up. I'm really excited. I've got three or four places that are on different parts of the world. One of them I'm going to target, and they're going to be places that I've always wanted to go, like very, very top of the, the bucket list, travel bucket list. Very, very excited. Thank you all for your support throughout this season. You know, we started the podcast, really, I say we now, but back then it was just me, the podcast in 2019 in December, like right before really the pandemic, uh, before I went to Nepal. And it was just fascinating. I, I just can't believe that we've grown this much, that we have so much support. Thank you to all the guests who have appeared on the podcast. A lot of the guests, you know, I would love to like share it's kind of the conversations that we've had off recording because they've just really been great people. We've been really fortunate to get very interesting people of, you know, from all kinds of different walks of life from different parts of the world. That has been fantastic. Hopefully they've given you some good books to read as well. So many of our guests have written books and I think you'll enjoy a lot and you can catch up on that on your next summer break. All right. For now, end of season four. Until the next episode, I'm going to say goodbye, but until the next episode, I hope you have a great rest of your day.